as I um, began to look over the last several weeks and began to think about this very special day, I think about those of you that perhaps are here that are Christ, that are, let's say it like this, that may not be Christ followers. But I'm actually uh, certain that if I invited you to the stage to tell us why, that most of us in here would agree with you and could understand really why you may not be a Christ follower. Perhaps it may be because uh, of um, someone that said that they were and how they treated you that you may have concluded that this cannot be the loving kind of relationship that I have heard about. Or maybe you're here and you at one time uh, were a Christ follower and um, that you grew up in a church perhaps that was so judgmental that you knew that it did not represent a love that you had heard about. Or you may be here and you say that, well, you know, I was, but I have drifted and I cannot even recognize why I am so far from where I intended to be. And when I think about that, uh, the Bible tells us in a very uh, significant way that um, there's a love, and we saw it a little bit earlier, there's a love, and it says that, uh, for there is a love that is stronger than death. For love is stronger than death. And when I think about there's a love that is stronger than death, it kind of messes up my Kool-Aid because it's almost unimaginable that there is a love that is so genuine that it is stronger than death. And it's many times hard for us to imagine that because uh, we grew up and as we grew up, we grew up and we recognize that all of us have felt rejection, all of us have felt at one time that we were unwanted. And so how can that be a love that is so genuine that is stronger than death? And it makes sense to me when we think about how we've grown up and what uh, challenges that we have had in our lives, because we do live in a skeptical world. We live in a world where we're often disappointed by empty promises. And uh, it, it, there are promises that have been made and promises that have been broken. We live in a world where we have uh, learned in some instances not to trust those that are in authority because those that are in authority are not always right. And when they are not right, then they are slow to recognize that they are not right. And so many times if we grow up and we grow up doubting, but if we could go back to our childhood, we grew up and it was not natural for us to doubt. As a child, doubt wasn't a part of who you were because if you were told something, you believed it. And those of you that may have children or those of you who have brothers and sisters or uh, what you've recognized is that if your mother or your father or someone in authority told you something, that uh, you believed what they said. And so uh, they said, hey, we're going to go to have ice cream on Thursday. And so you couldn't wait. It was Sunday and you said Monday, Tuesday. You were looking for that time. And then something happened during the course of their work week, and during the course of that week, they, uh, they could not make that appointment that they had made with you, and they came to you and they said, you know, honey, I am so sorry, I am not going to be able to go to ice cream with you. And what's the first thing a child would say? But you said, but you said, and they can't understand why. If they did it, not because they doubt it, they did it simply because they believe what they have been told. Now, this morning, what I am uh, going to do 
is I want to uh, just kind of share something with you. And I, I want you to, to uh, just kind of focus on this because in many ways, uh, it's hard for us to, uh, with our natural minds, to conceive how God would exchange all that he promises to give us for as little as we are able to give back to him. Let me say that again. In many ways, it is very difficult. It's hard for us to uh, comprehend with our natural mind to conceive how God would uh, exchange, exchange all that he promises to give to us for what we are able to give back to him. It, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to comprehend that or conceive that. And so what I want to do is I want to take the word of God and I want to share with you um, the basic foundation of the Christian faith and, and, and why we celebrate the resurrection. And, it, and we celebrate the resurrection not be, just because it's in the Bible, but it's better than that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul starts out his writing in this particular book talking about the cross and he ends it up in talking about the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Paul says these words. He says, uh, champions, would you read that with me like you know it is the word of his power? Would you read it with me together now? Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which have, you have taken your stand. He says, now I want to uh, remind you. So when he says that, I want to remind you of the gospel. What Paul is saying is that you've heard what I am going to say to you in this letter. But you heard it from me personally when I was visiting with you previously. But now I'm writing you a letter. And so in this letter, I want to remind you of the gospel that you have already heard of that I have preached to you. And he says that when I preached it to you, you received it. And when you received it, you've taken a stand on it. So as a result of that, I want to remind you of that gospel. Verse 3, let's read it together now. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, which is, which is Peter. He says that now he died, he was buried, and then he was raised and he appeared to Peter. Come on, let's keep reading. And then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Don't you love this word in the New Testament when they talk after Jesus was resurrected, they talk about asleep. And you know, when, when someone dies, what is the expectation? They'll stay dead. But in the New Testament, when they talk about asleep, what they, when someone falls asleep, that's how they refer to those that were dead. They said that they have fallen asleep. When someone falls asleep, what do you expect of them? To wake up again. Isn't it a beautiful picture? Paul says that, hey, they, 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 they are not dead, but they have fallen asleep. Now let's keep reading together. Verse 7. Now, then he appeared to James. 
then, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. My God. So what Paul is saying here is Paul is saying, check the facts. If you don't believe this, what I'm asking you to do is go to Jerusalem yourself. And many people will tell you, yes, he died. And afterwards, I saw him walking around. And even the disciples, the apostles says that, yeah, he died. After that, I saw him. But not only did I see him, I had breakfast on the beach with him. And so Paul says that, look, if you don't believe me, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to see for yourself and check my facts. Would you just say this with me? Check my facts. He says, check my facts. Now, when we look at that then, we, uh, it's, it's really interesting that they were so confident in the resurrection that they referred to people who were dead as fallen asleep because they have already seen what God could do. Not only what Jesus did, but even after Jesus had died, they saw what God did for him and they believed in the resurrection that they shared in that same gospel and what God would do for them. Now, wouldn't you like this kind of confidence where you were so sure, you were so certain of the resurrection? Wouldn't you like that? What kind of life could you live if you were that confident in the resurrection? And so since everything in Christianity rests on the resurrection, I want to uh, really uh, this morning talk to three groups of people. First group I want to talk to are people who believe, but sometimes you wonder. Sometimes you wonder, eh, you know what, I'm not sure. Uh, sometimes you may doubt. I, that's the first group that I want to speak to today. The second group that I want to speak to today are the people that wonder how can people continue to believe. How can you continue to believe that somebody was raised from the dead? Why? It's because dead people don't come back to life except in the movies. That's the second group that I want to talk to today. The third group that I want to talk to today, today are, the, are the people who wonder if you could ever believe again. You wonder if you could ever believe again. And you may have believed earlier in your life and went to school and when you went to college, you were asked so many questions. You say, well, the Bible says, the Bible says, and then someone says that there's an Isaiah in that part, there's a Barnabas in that part. And you, it shook your faith and you, and you drifted on your belief and you're wondering, can you ever believe again? Those three groups of people that I really want to talk to this morning. Now, when we look at this, the Apostle Paul that we could recognize, he had more influence on Christianity than any other person that's lived. He had more influence on Christianity than Jesus. Why? It's because when Jesus died, that there were no, there were no people just effectively, the Bible says Peter went back uh, to his own, um, his, to, to what he knew when he lost vision of Jesus. He forgot and he went back fishing. And so, and so when we look at this, we know that in the New Testament, look, uh, in the New Testament, Peter, uh, Paul had more uh, influence on Christianity and the spread of Christianity than anyone. Now, in many of his letters, his letters talk about the application, application where we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we have the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the church. Uh, but then something happened is that when Paul began to write, Paul began to write about how to apply Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So people began to know how to live with what they had heard and what they had read. And now, now I'll show you this a little bit later on, but there, uh, there are five things that 
Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that make up the gospel. There are five things that he says that make up the gospel. The first thing is that Jesus died for our sins. Come on, would you repeat this after me? Uh, Jesus died for our sins. What's the first thing? Jesus died for our sins. Number two, same Jesus who died was buried. Number three, he was physically raised up. Number four, he appeared to Peter and apostles. And number five, there there were other eyewitnesses and there were lots of them. And so these five things, they make up the gospel. They make up the gospel where he says that, look, I want to remind you of the gospel, that Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and there were eyewitnesses who saw him. How did Paul know Peter uh, believed that Jesus rose from the dead? How did he know that? How does he know that, 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 that Peter believed? How does he know about these eyewitnesses? And it's interesting because In Galatians, Paul talks about that. He gives detail. (laughs) I like this guy. He gives detail. And and, and it's important for us to recognize that historians believe that Paul spoke 33 languages and that he knew almost the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible by, by verbatim. He was a scholar. He was very, very smart. And he writes many ways like a lawyer writing in that day with great specificity so that people that questioned could understand based on what they had been exposed to, seen, or heard. And so in Galatians, he he says it like this in Galatians chapter 3, chapter 1 rather, Galatians chapter 1, Paul says it like this. He says that uh, the way that I know this, he says after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and started with him 15 days. He stayed with him for 15 days. Now look at this. Notice the specificity that he gives. He says that, you know what, uh, after three years, <laughs> I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted. He's talking about after he got saved. Remember how he got saved. Jesus showed up with, uh, with him, uh, to him on the road to Damascus. And he says that three years after I got saved, I went to Jerusalem to talk with Peter to get acquainted with him. And guess this, I stayed with him not one day, not two days, not one week, but I stayed with him for 15 days. And he just talked to me about his walk with him, what he saw, what he experienced. And then he says this, he says, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brothers. And he says that I assure you That when I am saying to you, I am not lying to you. I'm writing this and it is no what? Lie. So it's the truth. I've already told you. You can go check my facts. But I'm telling you that I know that Peter saw Jesus die, uh, was resurrected because I went with to him and I was acquainted with him. And he talked to me for 15 days. And what's interesting is that... uh, When we look at the timeline, this is like five years, five years, five years. When you you trace the timeline in the New Testament, it's five years after the resurrection of Jesus. That's why he said that there were some people that were still living and some that had fallen asleep. It was five years after Jesus was resurrected that Paul, hmm, that Paul went to Peter and he began to uh, meet with him. And notice this. It's interesting, too, because when you think about that and you think about what he is saying, during that particular time, uh, there were many people in the cities and 
that there were about 15 to 20% of the people, historians say, uh, believe, that could read and that could write. 15 to 20% of the people that could read and that could write. And so uh, outside of the cities in the rural area, almost no one could read and could write. And so what they did is that they came up with a creed. And a creed uh, is a series of statements of beliefs. Uh, and, 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 and to explain a creed to you, um, it was the way that they communicate with, with, communicated with people that could not read, that could not write. To, and they would do it by putting them into a song or putting it into a poem. And you and I have been exposed to that same type of uh, instructions. That we, We've been exposed to that same thing. And, and let me give you a perfect example. How many of you uh, remember uh, continents when you did not know continents? You didn't know continents. And so you began to uh, uh, sing a song. <laughs> uh, you began to sing a song. Uh, South America, North America, you could start it with North America, South America, Africa, Europe, and Asia, and don't forget Antarctica, and don't forget Australia. That's a creed. What did they do? They taught you the continents before you could ever read or write. Now, now listen, let's just go to one that's a little bit more basic. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. H I J K L M N O P Q R S T U V W X Y and Z. Now, now, let me ask you this. They taught that to children. It was a creed. They could not read, they could not write, but yet they knew their ABCs. How? Because of a creed. It was a song, it was a poem that was repeated, and because of that, you began to understand what you could not read or what you could not write. And so they would say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. And then it ends like this. Now I know my ABCs. Next time I will have a PhD. <laughs> so you learn that not because you could read or write. But it was a set of creeds that were taught to you before you could read, before you could write. And so in this letter, the Apostle Paul, he quotes a creed that already existed, that the people were taught. And they were already familiar with it, even though they could not read or write. And this creed that Paul talked about predated, predated the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What was this creed? It was almost like this. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose for the, from the dead and was seen. Now, I've said it three times, and you can probably begin to repeat that over and over again. It'll stick in your mind. <laughs> you know how you get a song in your mind. It may stick in your mind all day long, but Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. That was the creed. So people could not read or write, but they had been taught a set of beliefs even before Paul wrote the letter that Christ died for our sins and was buried. They had the gospel right here in a very simple creed. Now, when we look at that, Paul's letter believed Jesus rose from the dead and who saw him, and there were many that saw him after he was raised from the dead. 
And so what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he begins to expand on this. He begins to develop it more. And he says, look, how many more eyewitnesses do you need? How much more evidence do you need that Christ was resurrected? Because, see, dead men don't rise from the dead. Dead men stay dead. But the whole foundation of Christianity is that Christ rose from the dead. And because of that, we can believe that we serve a living God, a living Savior, a Messiah. And as he uh, expands on that, he says that I'm going to give you a couple of exhibits. Exhibit A, the disciples, the same guys who ate with him, the same guys who drank with him, the same guys who followed him and sat at his feet day and night for over three years. They saw Jesus die, beaten, resurrected, and they saw it in front of their own eyes. And if it was fake, they would have said so. And if it was fake, then all of the people would have known that it wasn't true, but no one disputed it. Exhibit B, there were 500 people in one spot, not counting the men and women, uh, not counting the women and children, but 500 people that he appeared to. And he appeared to them at the same time. And so the resurrection was not a private experience. Quite the opposite, Jesus was making himself known. And so he says that now I've given you exhibit A. Now I've given you exhibit B. Let me give you exhibit C. Furthermore, the fact that some eyewitnesses are still alive, that's the greatest exhibit that I can give you. And you can know for yourself, just travel to Jerusalem and ask around, and you will find those who saw him die, who saw him raised, and then they have become eyewitnesses to the gospel. And he says that these facts were never denied. No one disputed them. And so let me say this to you, that the Bible did not create Christianity, but Christianity was based on eyewitnesses who saw him die, who saw him raised from the dead. It wasn't because it's in the Bible, but the early church when Peter and James, remember in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter and James, uh, they, they were, after Jesus had, had appeared to them, they came out in the power of the Spirit, and they were going into the temple uh, to pray. And there was a man that was sitting at the gates of the temple. And he, was, and he, was, he, was, he looked up uh, to Peter, and the Bible says Peter fastens his, his eyes on him and says, Silver and gold have I not, but what I have, rise up. Oh, there's that word again. He says, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. And so this man was raised, he, he got up and he got strength in his legs and he began to go into a place where he could not go before. And then now there's the Sanhedrin council that summoned them to come and it's like the courts, the supreme court of our land. And when they summoned them to come, they said to them, they said, well, well, well by what name have you done this? By what name have you done this? And it's interesting that in Acts chapter 4, verse 10, Peter, uh, they, they began to say this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now, that was bold because during that particular time, people were not that bold. What they would do, it was at this particular time that people would fall on their knees and they would beg for mercy. But there is something about Peter and James that they are saying, look, look, uh, we want to let you know that it is in the name of Jesus, the one you crucified. But God raised him from the dead and it is by his name that this man is standing healed in his body. 
And what's interesting about that is that when he told them that, years later, no one was this bold. But when Peter said that in verse 13, check this out, church. Let's read it together. Now, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, Peter and John, I said Peter and James. I tell you, James was the brother of Jesus, and James did not believe until Jesus had been resurrected. Doesn't that make sense to you that your brothers and sisters would not believe you're a son of God until God does a miracle in your life? But James did not believe until Jesus was resurrected. Uh, but, but, but Peter and John, Peter and John, would you say Peter and John? We want to make sure we get this right, Peter and John. Now let's read verse 13. Let's read it together now. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. Now notice this, the courage that they had to stand in front of the Supreme Court and say, look, I want, to rec- I want you to know that something you did but God over, uh, overdid, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and because of that, it is because of this man. So I declare in the name of Jesus. So when they saw that there were ordinary men, the Bible says that they couldn't dispute that a miracle had been done because the man who was lame was, uh, was standing before them healed. Let's read the next verse together. Notice what they, what they said. They were astonished, and they took note that these men... They took note that, wait a minute, let's take a note here, that these men have been with Jesus. These men have been with Jesus. Let's take note of that. These men have been with Jesus. You know what? They asked them not to speak anymore in that name. Keep reading together. Verse 19. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. He says, now you judge for yourself. Look, this. He says that we told you he died. We told you he was buried. We told you that God raised him from the dead. And you could see his power in this man that you cannot dispute the evidence. You be the judge. You be the judge, he says. You be the judge. Next verse. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have. (laughs) They said we cannot help speaking about what we've already seen and what we have heard. My God. They said to them that, look. What causes someone to be this bold? What causes someone to have this much courage? What caused them to stand in front of an authority that could commit them to death but still speak the truth? It was because what they had seen and what they had 